So I think this is where we start um, our morning. I've been thinking about meditation and I haven't really talked very much about it for a while. So I thought I'd come back to some basics. Sometimes even after we've practiced for many years, it's useful to come back to some of the basics because we can forget or need uh, some kind of a recharge. <laughs> and there's a um, simple structure that I think can be useful to reflect on. And, and also maybe when you share with other people about meditation, especially as they get started. And it has four parts the approach, the technique, the meditation, and the conclusion. And so when we sit down to meditate or decide we're going to meditate regardless of posture, it's useful to take some time or put some attention on how we approach the practice. So this is the first piece, the approach. And most of you have probably have a place in your, in your home where you meditate. Maybe you have a little shrine or a big shrine. <laughs> and, you know, it, it doesn't have to be um, necessarily, uh, what do I wanna say, specifically spiritual. But when people meditate without it being part of a spiritual practice, it's still helpful to have such a space and to put things there that inspire us. So for most of us, maybe it's a Buddha image or pictures of a teacher or teachers or elements from nature maybe some other kinds of images, maybe some incense, candles, flowers, whatever feels like it helps to calm the mind. So it's like having a, um, a bit of a, the word that comes to mind is ritual, but it doesn't have to have that spiritual connotation even. You know, like, um, when you put small children to bed at night, you have certain, a certain series of things you go through that helps them prepare to sleep. You know, you brush your teeth and you get into your jammies and you get into bed and you read a story and, you know, like that. So we do, we, it's helpful for our mind when we meditate to have some, um, elements that help us to approach meditation and that can be things the space that we come to or the things that we do whether it's lighting the candles or incense or in the monastery we chant and the chanting has the benefit of focusing the mind and calming the mind 
or maybe inspiring and uplifting the mind or energizing the mind. It can have both effects, either effect. So morning meditation, I like starting with the chanting. Some, some monasteries, they end the session with the chanting, but I like starting with chanting because if you're sluggish or tired, it wakes you up, wakes the mind up and gets it in the right frame. If the mind is busy and energetic, it calms it down, focuses it. And so this is, you know, one example, but you can think of your own. What helps your mind come to meditation in a way that's beneficial, in a way that begins the, the stilling and the calming process that begins to set us on the track for tranquility? I mean, I've um, talked with people about their meditation practice. Sometimes they'll say they can't settle their mind down. And I ask them what they're doing before they sit down to meditate. And it's like watching the news or, you know, something like that. And it's, it's of course, the, it's going to take the mind some time to shift gears out of that. So as we um, focus the mind, it's also helpful to set an intention for the meditation. And I really like Bhante Analio's approach where he says, set an intention for yourself, but also for other living beings, that this practice isn't just for me. This is a benefit to the world. And it's good to have that suggestion in the mind. There are simple things that you probably already do, like, you know, putting the cat outside the room or shutting off the phone or the ways in which we can prepare the external environment. You might even think of that before the internal environment that I was just describing. But both are helpful. So that's the approach. And later, maybe you'll have other suggestions to share with everyone about the way you approach the meditation and what helps. Sometimes we forget about this and we just, you know, run, run, run through the day. And then we plop ourselves down and we expect the mind to just follow but it doesn't tend to often times. So that's the idea of approaching the meditation. And actually we see this in like the Satipatthana Sutta, that part where the Buddha says the, the practitioner goes to the root of a tree or an empty hut and sits down and crosses your legs and sets your body erect and establishes mindfulness. That's all, that's all approach. And then we have the technique. And the Buddha gave many, many techniques. And if you continue looking at the Satipatthana Sutta, then the first thing that you see is, is Anapanasati, but only the first part. 
uh, mindfulness of the body. The first four instructions of sati of anapanasati. And that's one technique. So using the breath as an object of meditation is a technique, looking at the parts of the body, looking at the elements, um, you know, all these different meditations, reflecting on death, on the decaying corpse, on, you know, feeling on the mind, every one of these different um, meditations or suggestions that the Buddha gave working with the Brahma Viharas, these are all different techniques. So you, you think ahead of time about what kind of techniques. And for many people, when they begin, they just focus on their breath. And a lot of times we can um, spend quite a lot of time with just focusing on our breathing, trying to keep our mind focused on our breath before we hear that there are other techniques, there are other ways of approaching meditation. In fact, recently someone um, said she was surprised when I was teaching Anapanasati. I said, the first two instructions are to focus on your in-breath and out-breath. Uh, the first one, noticing the in-breath and out-breath being long or heavy or deep, however you want to translate that. And then the second instruction being short, light. Um, and I said, I don't spend a lot of time on these two instructions because my mind gets bored. When the mind gets bored and you're, and you're trying to force it to be the, with the breath, I find it more useful to move to the third instruction and take in the whole body. So even though our, in, the, in Anapanasati, the, we have the breath as the basis. So the technique of being present with the in-breath and out-breath is really what we're using. But the Buddha gives all of these other um, subjects for the mind that makes that particular meditation so versatile and so powerful. So it's, I wouldn't like um, get too particular about saying, oh, I have to use this specific technique. If it's something like Anapanasati, it's got some, some real variety there. And yet you can take the whole thing and say, okay, this is the technique I'm using for my meditation. And then when you actually talk about meditation, the real meditation is when the mind is still, that lucid calm. And of course, everyone that I know has varying uh, experience from time to time meditating with how much actual meditation happens in a session. Sometimes a whole session can be really just trying to settle the mind even a little bit and be enough to even get started, right? But that's okay, that's how it is. Sometimes the mind is just tired. We're dealing with hindrances, the five hindrances, and it 
take some effort to work through them. Hopefully then we have enough time to continue, maybe, maybe work with the mind for a while, make some progress with calming it down. Sorry. Be turning that down. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Um, take some time to work with the mind and then maybe take a break and then come back and see if there's, if the mind is more ready for actual meditation. And I also find I'm just sharing like what works for me with this. Like I said, I don't spend a lot of time on focusing on the in-breath and out-breath alone, but then go move on into the, you know, other instructions in Anapanasati. It's also true for me that when I'm dealing with a hindrance, particularly if it's, if it's the, the pair of sloth and torpor or restlessness, and there are various ways of translating it, regret, or however you want to say it. When the mind is, is very agitated or moving, doesn't want to settle, or when the mind is sluggish and doesn't want to brighten. I find that trying to approach those head on, for me, is not so successful. That what works better is if I just move through like the Anapanasati instructions, or I go into the Brahma Viharas, and the mind takes on a brightness or some kind of turning the mind to some, something like um, Buddha Nisati, reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha or some other inspiring subject, something that really inspires my mind. And then the hindrance disappears. It can be different for, for a desire, essential desire. If we're caught up in desire or aversion, I find that the more direct approach is, is more effective. And you're really working with what, where is this aversion coming from and how might it be relieved or released. And for me, that if I bring loving kindness to the experience of the mind with aversion, um, it dissipates pretty easily. I just heard uh, part of a talk by Ajahn Vamali where he was talking about um, gradually reducing sensual desire. It's a talk that he recently gave. I think there are like some crazy amount of thousands of views already on this talk. So I think a lot of people are interested in this topic. And at one point when, when he starts to talk about how to reduce sensual desire, he mentions aversion and, and ill will as another hindrance to meditation and also to having a happy life, of course. And he said, that's, that's actually quite easy to get rid of. So it's, it's interesting to consider how, you know, which, which hindrances are sort of easy to drop and which ones need more attention. And so for sensual desire to sometimes we have to really be very firm with the mind 
particularly with sexual desire, to really um, use the the reflections on the non-beautiful. That can be really helpful. So these these are also um, methods that the Buddha gave for dealing with these different um, issues that we come across or experiences that everyone has. And then we have to learn for ourselves what actually works for our mind. I don't know uh, how many of you have raised children or, I mean, we all were children. We were probably in a family where we've seen people with families of children who where children are very different. You know, you have your first child and then you kind of think, oh, it's going to be like this again. And then it's completely different. You've got a whole different, <laughs> different karma uh, coming in and different things work. So we have to know our own mind. Um, it's a little like a child. We have to try to understand what's actually going to help it. So we have so many techniques from the Buddha. Um, I don't even know quite if I finished my point earlier about the person when I was talking about Anapanasati and moving on from the first two instructions. Um, she said, I've been doing this for years and all I've ever heard about is focus on your breath. And it was so amazing to like open this whole sort of toolkit that the Buddha gives so many different ways to approach meditation that it was uh, very helpful for her and for all of us. So it's um, the technique. And then, and then, as I said, meditation, that, that lucid calm, the stillness, you know, experiencing some PT and sukha. Um, I wouldn't, I, I like the Thai forest tradition approach of not being so concerned about sort of what jhana you're in. Um, it doesn't really matter. It's not the point. You may experience the things that are described in those suttas, but you may not. And it's, that's not the, the main thing. The main thing is that we can help the mind be healthy and calm and release, release the, the hindrances and the suffering that we experience. And we, and we create the conditions or allow the conditions to unfold where we can actually be really clear, present, calm, without wanting anything, without wanting to get rid of anything, just available to observe the phenomena arising and ceasing. And I don't mean the sensual input. I'm not talking about sights, sounds, etc. I'm talking about what arises from the deeper reaches of the mind. And then, you know, that can be a variety of things, some helpful, some not so helpful. You know, most um, master teachers will say, don't worry about nematas that arise, but sometimes they show us Dhamma. And when they do, then it's important to pay attention. Well, in that state, you're definitely paying attention. <laughs> Mindfulness is always there, clear and bright when we're in meditation. 
And then lastly, there's conclusion. And I have to admit that when I lead meditation, I don't usually put any emphasis on conclusion. I ring the bell and expect you to just like, boom, come out of meditation. <laughs> and it's not really the most um, productive or um, pleasant or helpful. And if we actually give some attention to how we end our meditation, I think it can be helpful. So what do we do? Well, when the meditation ends, whether that's, you know, the time is up and the bell rings, or we feel that our meditation is finished, then taking a moment to first feel the body become aware of the physical body again, become aware of our surroundings again. And then it's useful to reflect, once we kind of come back to normal state of consciousness, reflect on what happened in our meditation. And I, and I feel like, you know, the Buddha talks so often about reflecting on what happened. Like if something happens that, you know, some insight arises, you don't just go on. From there, you reflect upon this insight. You recognize that it happened. You kind of log this experience in your mind of the insight, um, how it felt, the feeling that came with it, the, the sort of message or understanding the knowing that came with it and even if nothing like that actually occurs we can look at what was really the the experience of this this particular session of meditation and this can be useful for um, adjusting the way we approach and apply the technique that we're using or change techniques or, you know, how we might um, work with our meditation in a more productive or subtle or satisfying way. And then you get up from meditation. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time but the attention that we give to these different aspects can produce some good results. So I have a friend, um, we were actually using this structure, approach, technique, meditation, and conclusion. And the way she remembered those parts was, she said, ATM, cash approach, meditation, technique, and conclusion. So it feels a little bit uh, applicable metaphor because at the ATM, then finally at the end, there's the good result. <laughs> you can count the money, <laughs> count the, um, the, what we've learned and how we've developed. So that was my offering. 
in terms of comments this morning. And now let's try it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.